0: Hey guys, it's Ellie, and this is Classic Mysteries. And today, we are continuing Bulldog Drummond. And if you have not listened to last episode, go back and listen to it, because oh my goodness, some of the best things occur. So I'm gonna spoil it right now, so if you wanna, you know, go back and listen to that, feel free. So, what happened last episode? Three incredible things occurred. First thing that happened, Lakington was killed in the most theatrical and dramatic way physically possible. It was the best scene that I've ever read. (laughs) The next thing that happened is that we got a hold of Peterson's ledger, which, if you remember, it's been mentioned a couple times. That's pretty important. (laughs) So they managed to open his safe via bombs and take a look at his ledger, and a lot of things are revealed. They they learn about the whole organization that is behind Peterson's plot. And thirdly, Harem C. Potts becomes Lucid again, and they talk to him, and he tells them all about what happened when he was kidnapped. And we learned so much, and it's amazing! So, last week, we stopped near the end of Hiram C. Potts and Hugh Drummond's conversation, and so we're gonna pick up and finish that off today. And we're also 82% through the book, and so I think we might finish this entire series this episode or next episode. Like, I think we're pretty dang close. So anyways, (laughs) I'm so pumped for this. So, with no more waffle, let's jump right in. What's troubling me? remarked Hugh later, is what to do with Carl and that sweet girl Irma. The hour for the meeting was drawing near, and though no one had any idea as to what sort of a meeting it was going to be, it was obvious that Peterson would be one of the happy throng. "'I should say the police might now be allowed to look in,' murmured Daryl mildly. "'You can't have the man lying about the place after you're married.' "'I suppose not,' answered Drummond regretfully. "'And yet it's a dreadful thing to finish a little show like this with the police.' if you'll forgive my saying so, Mr. Green. "'Oh, sure thing,' drawled the American. "'But we have our uses, Captain, (laughs) "'and I'm inclined to agree with your friend's suggestion. "'Hand him over along with his book "'and they'll sweep up the mess.' "'It would be an outrage to let the scoundrel go,' "'said the millionaire fiercely. "'That man Lakington you say is dead. "'There's enough evidence to hang this brute as well. "'What about my secretary in Belfast?' "'But Drummond shook his head. "'I have my doubts, Mr. Potts, "'if you'd be able to bring that home to him.' Still, I can quite understand your feeling, rattled with the bird. He rose and stretched himself. Then he glanced at his watch. Ah, it's time you all retired, boys. The party ought to be starting soon. Drift in again with the lads the instant I ring the bell. So keep in mind, over the last day or so, Hugh Drummond has been kidnapped, has completely taken over the house with policemen, and Lakington has been killed. And Peterson knows none of this. He still thinks that Lakington is probably in the process of torturing Hugh Drummond, And the house is still under his control, but he is sorely mistaken. (laughs) So this is going to be a very interesting scene coming up. Left alone, Hugh made certain once again that he knew the right combination of studs on the wall to open the big door which concealed the stolen store of treasure, and other things as well. Then, lighting a cigarette, he sat down and waited. The end of the chase was in sight, and he had determined it should be a fitting end, worthy of the chase itself. Theatrical, perhaps, but at the same time, impressive. I like how that sounds. (laughs) Something for the ditchlings of the party to ponder on in the silent watches of the night. Then the police. It would have to be the police, he admitted sorrowfully. And after that, Phyllis. And he was just on the point of ringing up his flat to tell her that he loved her, when the door opened and a man came in. He recognized him at once as Valance Nestor, an author of great brilliance, in his own eyes, who had lately devoted himself to the advancement of revolutionary labor. "'Good afternoon,' murmured Drummond affably. "'Mr. Peterson will be a little late. I am his private secretary.' The other nodded and sat down languidly. "'What did you think of my last little effort in the Midlands?' he asked, drawing off his gloves. "'Quite wonderful,' said Hugh. "'A marvellous help to the great cause.' Valence Nestor yawned slightly and closed his eyes, only to open them again as Hugh turned the pages of the ledger on the table. "'What's that?' he demanded. "'This is the book,' replied Drummond carelessly, where Mr. Peterson records his opinions of the immense value of all his fellow workers. Most interesting reading.' "'Am I in it?' Valance Nestor rosed with alacrity. "'Why, of course,' answered Drummond. "'Are you not one of the leaders? Here you are.' He pointed with his finger and then drew back in dismay. "'Dear... Dear, there must be some mistake. But Valence Nestor, with a frozen and glassy eye, was staring, fascinated, at the following choice description of himself. Nestor, Valence. Author, so-called. Hot air factory, but useful up to a point. Inordinately conceited and a monumental ass. Not fit to be trusted far. What, he spluttered at length, is the meaning of this abominable insult? But Hugh, his shoulders shaking slightly, was welcoming the next arrival, a rugged, beetle-browned man, whose face seemed vaguely familiar, but whose name he was unable to place. "'Crofter!' shouted the infuriated author. "'Look at this as a description of me!' And he watched the man, whom he now knew to be one of the extremist members of Parliament, walk over and glance at the book. He saw him conceal a smile, and then Valence Nestor carried the good work on. "'We'll see what he says about you, impertinent blackguard!' Rapidly, he turned the pages, and Hugh glanced over Crofter's shoulder at the dossier. He just had time to read. Crofter, John, a consummate blackguard, playing entirely for his own hand. Needs careful watching. When the subject of the remarks, his face convulsed with fury, spun round and faced him. "'Who wrote that?' he snarled. "'Must have been Mr. Peterson,' answered Hugh placidly. "'I see you had five thousand out of him, so perhaps he considers himself privileged.' "'A wonderful judge of character, too,' he murmured, turning away to greet Mr. Ditchling, who arrived somewhat opportunely in company with a thin, pale man, little more than a youth, whose identity completely defeated Drummond. "'My God!' Crofter was livid with rage. "'Me and Peterson will have words this afternoon. Look at this, Ditchling!' On second thoughts, he turned over some pages. "'We'll see what this insolent devil has to say about you!' "'Drinks!' Ditchling thumped the table with a heavy fist, "'What the heck does he mean?' "'Say you, Mr. Secretary, what's the meaning of this?' "'They represent Mr. Peterson's considered opinions of you all,' said Hugh genially. "'Perhaps this other gentleman?' He turned to the pale youth, who stepped forward with a surprised look. He seemed to be not quite clear what had upset the others, but already Nestor had turned up his name. "'Terence, Victor, a wonderful speaker, appears really to believe that what he says will benefit the working man. Consequently, very valuable, but indubitably mad.' "'Does he mean to insult us deliberately?' demanded Crofter, his voice still shaking with passion. "'But I don't understand,' said Victor Terrence dazedly. "'Does Mr. Peterson not believe in our teachings, too?' He turned slowly and looked at Hugh, who shrugged his shoulders. "'He should be here at any moment,' he answered, and as he spoke, the door opened and Carl Peterson came in. "'Ho oh, ho 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 yeah!' That was such a good move. Like, turning all of his own men against him. Dude! (laughs) Man, he should have done that before. He should be more careful about his ledger if it holds stuff like that in it. (laughs) Good afternoon, gentlemen, he began. And then he saw Hugh. With a look of speechless amazement, he stared at the soldier. And for the first time since Hugh had known him, his face blanched. Then his eyes fell on the open ledger and with a dreadful curse he sprang forward. A glance at the faces of the men who stood watching told him what he wanted to know, and with another oath his hand went to his pocket. "'Take your hand out, Carl Peterson.' Drummond's voice rang through the room, and the arch-criminal, looking sullenly up, found himself staring into the muzzle of a revolver. "'Now, sit down at the table, all of you. "'The meeting is about to commence.' "'Look here,' blustered Crofter. "'I'll have the law on you, by all manner of means, "'Mr. John Crofter, consummate blackguard," answered Hugh calmly. "'But that comes afterwards. "'Just now, sit down.' "'I'm damned if I will,' roared the other, springing at the soldier. "'And Peterson, sitting sullenly at the table, "'trying to readjust his thoughts to the sudden blinding certainty "'that through some extraordinary accident everything had miscarried, "'never stirred, as a half-stunned Member of Parliament "'crashed to the floor beside him. "'Sit down,' I said.' remarked Drummond affably. But if you prefer to lie down, it's all the same to me. Are there any more to come, Peterson? No. Get it over. Right. <laughs> Throw your gun on the floor. Drummond picked the weapon up and put it in his pocket. Then he rang the bell. I had hoped, he murmured, for a larger gathering. But one cannot have everything can one, Mr. Monumental Ass. But Valence Nestor was far too frightened to resent the insult, He could only stare foolishly at the soldier while he plucked at his collar with a shaking hand. Save to Peterson, who understood, if only dimly, what had happened, the thing had come as such a complete surprise that even the sudden entrance of twenty masked men who ranged themselves in single rank behind their chairs failed to stir the meeting. It seemed merely in keeping with what had gone before. "'I shall not detain you long, gentlemen,' began Hugh suavely. Your general appearance and the warmth of the weather have combined to produce me in a desire for sleep. But before I hand you to the care of the sportsman who stands so patiently behind you, there are one or two remarks I wish to make. Let me say at once that on the subject of capital and labor I am supremely ignorant. You will therefore be spared any dissertation on the subject. But from an exhaustive study of the ledger which now lies upon the table, and a fairly intimate knowledge of its author's movements, I and my friends have been put to the inconvenience of treading on you. There are many things, we know, which are wrong in this jolly old country of ours, but given time and the right methods, I'm sufficiently optimistic to believe that they could be put right. That, however, would not suit your book. You dislike the right method, because it leaves all of you much where you were before. Every single one of you, with the sole possible exception of you, Mr. Terrence, and you're mad, is playing with a revolution to his own ends, to make money out of it, to gain power. Let's start with Peterson, your leader. How much did you say, he demanded, Mr. Potts, as the price of revolution? With a strangled cry, Peterson sprang up as the American millionaire, removing his mask, stepped forward. Two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, you swine, was what you asked me. The millionaire stood, confronting his tormentor, who dropped back in his chair with a groan. And when I refused, you tortured me. Look at my thumb. With a cry of horror, the others sitting at the table looked at the mangled flesh, and then at the man who had done it. This, even in their mind, was going too far. Then there was the same sum, continued Drummond, to come from Hawking, the American cotton man, half-German by birth, Steinemann, the German coal man, von Kreitz, the German steel man. Is that not so, Peterson? It was an arrow at a venture, but it hit the mark, and Peterson nodded. So... One million pounds was the stake this benefactor of humanity was playing for, sneered Drummond. One million pounds as the mere price of a nation's lifeblood. But, at any rate, he had the merit of playing big, whereas the rest of you, scum, and all the other beauties so ably catalogued in that book, messed about at his beck and call for packets of bull's eyes. Perhaps you labored under the delusion that you were fooling him, but the whole lot of you are so dangt crooked that you probably thought of nothing but your own filthy skins. Listen to me." Hugh Drummond's voice took on a deep, commanding ring, and against their will, the four men looked at the broad, powerful soldier, whose sincerity shone clear in his face. Not by revolutions and direct action will you make this island of ours right, though I am fully aware that this is the last thing you could wish to see happen, but with your brains, and for your own unscrupulous ends, you gull the working man into believing it, and he, because you can talk with your tongues in your cheeks, is led away. He believes you will give him utopia, whereas in reality, you are leading him to hell. And you know it. Evolution is our only chance, not revolution. But you, and the others like you, stand to gain more by the latter. His hand dropped to his side, and he grinned. Quite a break for me, he remarked. I'm getting hoarse. I'm now going to hand you four over to the boys. There's an admirable but somewhat muddy pond outside, and I'm sure you'd like to look for newts. If any of you want to summon me for an assault and battery, my name is Drummond, Captain Drummond of Half Moon Street. But I warn you that that book will be handed into Scotland Yard tonight. Out with him, boys, and give him hell. After his monologue, he's literally like, Alright, so? If you'd like to schedule a booking for assault and battery, here's my name and my address. Have fun. (laughs) Imagine if he actually got a sign-up sheet for that. Because I imagine he has a lot of enemies after this. I mean... So the way things are going, it doesn't look like he's going to kill Carl Peterson. Although, the possibility is still very much on the table. With Lakington, the whole point of his encounter with him was in order to kill him. Like, he never intended to bring the police in. But with Peterson, there's going to be the police, so I don't know if he's going to get a chance to kill Carl Peterson. I don't know. Things might go upside down. (laughs) I mean, who knows, really. And now, Carl Peterson, he remarked, as the door closed behind the last of the struggling prophets of a new world, "'It's time that you and I settled our little account, isn't it?' The master criminal rose and stood facing him. Apparently he had completely recovered himself. The hand with which he lit his cigar was as steady as a rock. "'I congratulate you, Captain Drummond,' Hugh remarked suavely. "'I confess I have no idea how you managed to escape from the cramped position I left you in last night, or how you have managed to install your own men in this house. But I have even less idea how you discovered about Hawking and the other two.' Hugh laughed shortly. <laughs> Another time, when you disguise yourself as the Comte de Guy. Remember one thing, Carl. For effective concealment, it is necessary to change other things besides your face and figure. You must change your mannerisms and unconscious little tricks. No, I won't tell you what it is that gave you away. You can ponder over it in prison. So you mean to hand me over to the police, do you? said Peterson slowly. <laughs> I see no other course open to me, replied Drummond. It'll be quite a cause célèbre. "'and ought to do a lot to edify the public.' "'The sudden opening of the door made both men look round. "'Then Drummond bowed to conceal a smile. "'Just in time, Miss Irma,' he remarked, "'for settling day.' "'The girl swept past him and confronted Peterson. "'What has happened?' she panted. "'The garden is full of people whom I've never seen, "'and there were two young men running down the drive "'covered with weeds and dripping with water.' "'Peterson smiled grimly. "'A slight setback has occurred, my dear.' I have made a big mistake, a mistake which has proven fatal. I have underestimated the ability of Captain Drummond, and as long as I live, I shall always regret that I did not kill him the night he went exploring in this house. Fearfully, the girl faced Drummond, then she turned again to Peterson. "'Where's Henry?' she demanded. "'That again is a point on which I am profoundly ignorant,' answered Peterson. "'Perhaps Captain Drummond can enlighten us on that also?' "'Yes.' remarked Drummond, I can. Henry has had an accident. After I drove him back from the Duchess's last night—the girl gave a cry, and Peterson steadied her with his arm—we had words, dreadful words, and for a long time, Carl, I thought it would be better if you and I had similar words. In fact, I'm not sure even now that it wouldn't be safer in the long run. But where is he? said the girl, through dry lips. Where you ought to be, Carl, answered Hugh grimly. Where, sooner or later, you will be. He pressed the studs in the niche of the wall, and the door of the big safe swung open slowly. With a scream of terror, the girl sank, half-fainting, on the floor, and even Peterson's cigar dropped on the floor from his nerveless lips. For, hung from the ceiling by two ropes attached to his arms, was the dead body of Henry Lakington. And even as they watched, it sagged lower, and one of the feet hit sullenly against a beautiful old gold vase. "'My God!' muttered Peterson. "'Did you murder him?' "'Oh, no,' answered Drummond. "'He inadvertently fell in the bath he got ready for me, "'and then when he ran up the stairs in considerable pain, "'that interesting mechanical device broke his neck. "'Shut the door!' screamed the girl. "'I can't stand it!' "'She covered her face with her hands, shuddering, "'while the door slowly swung to again. "'Yes,' remarked Drummond thoughtfully. "'It should be an interesting trial.' I still have such a lot to tell them about the little entertainments here, and all your endearing ways. With a big ledger under his arm, he crossed the room and called to some men who were standing outside in the hall, and as the detectives, thoughtfully supplied by Mr. Green, entered the central room, he glanced for the last time at Carl Peterson and his daughter. Never had the cigar glowed more evenly between the master criminal's lips, Never had the girl Irma selected a cigarette from her gold and tortoise shell case with a more supreme indifference. Goodbye, my ugly one, she cried with a charming smile as two of the men stepped up to her. Goodbye, Hugh bowed, and a tinge of regret showed for a moment in his eyes. Not goodbye, Irma. Carl Peterson removed his cigar and stared at Drummond steadily. Only au revoir, my friend. Only au revoir. Epilogue I simply can't believe it, Hugh. In the lengthening shadows, Phyllis moved a little nearer to her husband, who, quite regardless of the publicity of their position, slipped an arm around her waist. Can't believe what, darling? he demanded lazily. Why, that all that awful nightmare is over. Lakington is dead, and the other two in prison, and us married. Well, (laughs) they're not actually in the jug yet, old thing, said Hugh. And somehow. He broke off and stared thoughtfully at a man sauntering past them. To all appearances, he was a casual visitor taking his evening walk along the front of the well-known seaside resort so largely addicted to honeymoon couples. And yet, was he? Hugh <laughs> laughed softly. He'd got suspicion on the brain. "'Don't you think they'll be sent to prison?' cried the girl. "'They may be sent right enough, but whether they arrive or not is a different matter. I don't somehow see Carl picking oakum. It's not his form.' For a while they were silent occupied with matters quite foreign to such trifles as Peterson and his daughter. "'Are you glad I answered your advertisement?' inquired Phyllis at length. "'The question is too frivolous to deserve an answer,' remarked her husband severely. "'But aren't you sorry it's over?' she demanded. "'It isn't over, kid. It's just begun.' He smiled at her tenderly. "'Your life and mine, isn't it just wonderful?' And once again the man sauntered past them. But this time... He dropped a piece of paper on the path, just at Hugh's feet, and the soldier, with a quick movement, which he hardly stopped to analyze, covered it with his shoe. The girl hadn't seen the action, but then, as girls will do after such remarks, she was thinking of other things. Idly, Hugh watched the saunter disappear in the more crowded part of the Espelande, and for a moment there came onto his face a look, which, happily for his wife's peace of mind, she failed to notice. (laughs) No? He said, I don't see the gentleman picking oakum. Let's go and eat, and after dinner I'll run you up to the top of the headland. With a happy sigh, she rose. It was just wonderful. And together they strolled back to their hotel. In his pocket was the piece of paper. And who could be sending him messages in such a manner save one man, a man now awaiting his trial. In the hall, he stayed behind to inquire for letters, and a man nodded for him. Heard the news? No, said Hugh. What's happened? That man, Peterson, and the girl have got away. No trace of him. Then he looked at Drummond curiously. By the way, you had something to do with that show, didn't you? A little, smiled Hugh, just a little. Police bound to catch him again, continued the other. Can't hide yourself these days. And once again Hugh smiled as he drew from his pocket the piece of paper. Only au revoir, my friend. Only au revoir. He glanced at the words written in Peterson's neat writing, and the smile broadened. Assuredly, life was still good. Assuredly. Are you ready for dinner, darling? Quickly, he swung around and looked at the sweet face of his wife. Sure thing, kid, he grinned. Dead sure. I've had the best appetizer the old pothouse can produce. Well, you're very greedy. Where's mine? Effects of bachelordom, old thing. For the moment, I forgot you. I'll have another. Waiter, two martinis. And into an ashtray nearby. He dropped a piece of paper torn into a hundred tiny fragments. Was that a love letter? She demanded with assumed jealousy. Not exactly, sweetheart. He laughed back. Not exactly. And over the glasses, their eyes met. Here's to hoping, kid. Here's to hoping. The end! (laughs) So, let's do a bit of a review. We start the story. Hugh Drummond, first of all, has never done any detective work or anything, or done anything outside of being in the military, as far as we know, and he's just this happy-go-lucky guy and he's really, really bored, so he puts this advertisement in the newspaper, which I like saying it that way, so come at me. <laughs> and, uh, and then Phyllis Benton answers and she's like, well, there's this weird thing going on at my house. And then once that happens, we meet Lakington, we meet Peterson, we, you know, do all these crazy things. Hugh Drummond gets kidnapped like six times, if not more. And he just escapes death like every single episode. And whoa, <laughs> that was quite a ride. I gotta say, I gotta say. So, Yeah. That's the end, and I enjoyed the end, honestly. I'm kind of sad that he didn't get to kill Peterson, because obviously they have to make a sequel, you know? But still, I don't see myself reading the sequel because it's not strictly a mystery book, per se, but it's still, it was still very enjoyable. Like, come on, did you not enjoy that? Was that not a good book? <laughs> I know this is called Classic Mysteries, and it was, like, not exactly a mystery, but it was kind of, like, from the era of mysteries, like, the 1920s that everybody glorifies as, like, you know, the cozy mystery kind of era. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> But anyways, that was a lot of fun. And yeah, we're done with the book. So next week, we'll start doing a little bit shorter stories again. And I don't like to do books very often. I kind of like to do them kind of spread out. So if you have any recommendations for me to read other books, then send them to me via my email, which I'll mention later. Or even you could just recommend some short stories or like your favorite Sherlock Holmes story or your favorite Agatha Christie short story. Like, I'd love that, you know? Uh, if you don't know, I have read a staggeringly low amount of Agatha Christie on this podcast, so if you have one that you really want me to read, give it to me. Obviously not all of them are in the public domain, they need to be published before 1923, but if you have one that's really old, that you really want me to read, feel free. I've been thinking of actually reading The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, which is, first of all, one of the best novels that she wrote, according to a lot of people, and secondly, it's in the public domain, which is good. <laughs> If the Murder on the Orient Express was in the public domain, I would have already read that because that is so iconic, but alas, it's too new, so yeah, very sad. So yeah, next week I think we'll just do some Sherlock Holmes like we always do, and it'll be great. So yeah, like I mentioned before, again, if you want to send me any feedback, any comments, any book recommendations or short story recommendations, specifically Agatha Christie, but really anything, send them to my email, classicmysteriespod at gmail.com, it's also in the show notes. But yeah, so yeah, I'd appreciate it if you send me your stuff because, you know, I, I started this podcast so that I could discover new mystery books, and that's what I try and do. So I'd love to hear your guys' recommendations. Secondly, if you're on any app or software or website that you can engage with my podcast on, uh, whether you can like it or comment it or, I don't know, follow me, feel free. I would really appreciate that because, like, dude, as you just heard... This book is amazing, and it was like so enjoyable for me to read, and I hope that it was fun for you guys to listen to, and so it would be wonderful if it was able to spread to more people, and I think that you engaging with the podcast on whatever you're on would really help with that. So anyways, thirdly, as you all are very familiar with, there are those two links in the show notes, the one that you can just directly donate to me via PayPal, and the second one to become my patron, so if you'd like to do either of those things, they're both linked in the show notes. So that wraps it up for this week. And for the entire book. So, yeah. (laughs) Woo, we finished the book. It was a very long series. Uh, I don't love doing series that are so long. Because, you know, listening to an entire book over like three months is kind of annoying. But still, I enjoyed it and I hope you enjoy it. And maybe you can go back through and binge the whole thing later. So you can kind of get a better idea of what was going on. So anyways, I had an amazing week. And I hope that you guys have an amazing week as well. So, yeah. I'll see you guys next Monday. Bye.